Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Episode number 65 is all about calling out Christianity as a breeding ground for conspiracy theories. Why are we so easily sucked into a mindset of current events that most would label as conspiracy or folklore? Are there legitimate theological reasons, or are we just a bunch of wackos that have found each other? We discuss a lot of the current theories in 2020 that have been floating around, as well as the theological undertones of what makes Christianity ripe for believing some of the videos that tend to circulate during apocalyptic times. Let's jump on into the discussion for this week. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I just got a text message. I'll get back to it later. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, and I am still in quarantine, and I am losing my mind. All right. Um, did you just mispronounce your own last name? Did I? Sounded like I you said know. Whitaker. Timothy Whitaker. Whitaker. And I'm joined here with my awesome hosts, as always, Jordan and Rob. What's up, gentlemen? How are we? Pretty good. Cheers. I've enjoying quarantine. Mug. Love it. Um, <laughs> you know, I was enjoying quarantine. Mm. I am now ready to get out of quarantine. I'm fully ready to... Cool. Just get on out. Start there's breaking a, some laws. There's, there's aspects of it that I'm ready for it to be over, but I'm like, I'm getting paid. I'm not working. I'm cool yes. with that. <laughs> no, that, that part is nice. Um, we're, you know, the baby should be here any day now. So we're ready mm. for that. That's been kind of nice. And Sarah and I have spent a lot more time together, which in the beginning was tough adapting to that. Yeah, like we thought was nice. <laughs> right. But turns uh, we're out <laughs> we're in a pretty good rhythm now. So, um yeah so that's really good so i'm definitely at the point though like where i miss my friends i miss playing music i miss routines when the baby is born we still have to watch who can kind of see them so i think i'm just ready for some sense of like i can go to wawa and not have to wear a mask i'm kind of ready for that kind of stuff to be a thing again you know so yeah yeah overrated uh, whatever rob um all right anyway everyone thank you so much for tuning into this episode listen this is meant to be interactive, so if you have comments, if you disagree with us, if you agree with us, if you have questions, put them in the comments, and we will do our best to uh, respond. Keep in mind that there is a slight delay, probably about 20 seconds, so we'll do our best to get back to you as soon as possible. I am as long excited. as you agree with us. <laughs> if you don't agree with us, we'll just ignore it. <laughs> Listen, I, I don't want to be that podcast that like has a really you know um, crazy topic and it takes an hour to get into it, so let's just hop right into tonight's episode. Because I got to be honest, I am kind of losing my mind. I am on Facebook way too much. Okay. (laughs) Way too much. And I'm just, I'm just spending time arguing with people thinking that I'm going to change the world, but I'm not going to. And I Mm. think one of the biggest deceptions of social media, at least in my mind, is that it gives you a false sense of platform. Like you think that what you're sharing, like a million people are are seeing, but in reality, maybe like 200 people are seeing maybe and out of those 200 maybe 50 are gonna like it and maybe 10 will share it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think i'm falling victim 
to this because I feel like I have to fight off these ridiculous conspiracies that are being just swashed around on my feed. <laughs> and Facebook knows. They know what to show me because they know who I am and they know the algorithm works. But it's just like driving me up a wall that I even have to have these discussions with other Christians about things that I'm like, guys, how are we so willing just to blindly accept as fact someone on YouTube who makes crazy statements? So I think tonight might be a good subject to talk about not just conspiracy theories, but how do we discern truth, maybe? And I that's this is more opinion, right? We're not scholars or even experts. Yeah. This is more just like our opinion on the matter but that's our ongoing truth? disclaimer about yeah. our entire yeah. podcast I'm everyone, not a doctor. <laughs> everyone understands <laughs> you're you're only ever hearing our opinions <laughs> we're actually pretty dumb so um <laughs> but i do think it might be a good topic to talk about because in listen i can't like prove this obviously but it just seems like at least in my circles a lot of the videos i'm seeing are being posted by christians in in, in my sphere. And some of them mm. I know through like different Facebook groups. So I don't, I'm not even like related to them geographically. And I'm still seeing the same people sharing the same kind of stuff. I'm just like, why? I don't understand. So I think that's a good topic for tonight. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? I think it's a great topic. I'm really excited about it. It's the best topic I've ever had. <laughs> I've never seen a better topic. <laughs> so also now this a was, comedy show. This was Jordan's idea. Um, it was. Yeah, didn't you bring up in our in our group chat? No, it was me. Oh, oh, thanks, Rob. So, Rob, do you want to okay, kick it the off then? Person. Do you want to launch into your your views on this on this issue? Well, I, I think we should give some background as to why why we think this is important because we we you can go back and listen to our older episodes about specifically biblical theology, biblical interpretation, biblical truth, and kind of get our views on that. And But this is almost taking a step back or maybe even a step out and saying the same things that we hold for biblical truth and biblical authority. And if you're in church on Sunday and you hear a sermon, it should be something that you're like, yeah, but is that really what the Bible says? And go and test it and look for it at yourself and not just take somebody else's word for it. And I think we kind of all get that. Um, sense in Christendom as a whole that we should be doing that like the Bereans but when we get outside of the Bible it's kind of like a free-for-all for everybody and we've kind of hinted on this along the way on many other topics where um, everyone likes to have their own bias confirmed so we tend to believe people that confirm our bias whether it's in the political realm, whether it's in the socioeconomic realm, what, whatever the case is, um, we like people that confirm our bias. So I'm just challenging myself, challenging you guys and challenging our listeners. Do we hold the same truth or the same standards when it comes to things we hear on Facebook, things we listen to on YouTube, uh, the political commentators that we listen to, do we hold this same statue of let's get down to the real truth aside from what, what we want to be true? Aha. Here's the thing. I think that they, that most Christians do. And here's why I don't think that most evangelical Christians even know where the Bible came from. 
I think they really think or haven't thought about it and just kind of assume it's always been the way it is. It kind of beamed down from heaven and we just have to have blind faith just to trust whatever it says. And there's no reason to really examine much of it. I really think most Christians think that. And so I think what happens is when, whenever they have a hunch about something and it's confirmed by a YouTube video or, or how the government is distrustful, they don't need to really research it because it, because they're trained already just to go on faith. And I think that, that that's a real thing. I think I'm not saying about every Christian. I think there are a lot of Christians who obviously have studied and are really curious to, yeah, how was the Bible formed? How did we get these words? You know, how, how was the translation? How did that happen? Right. But I don't think many Christians have ever, or most have ever really thought about that process, that it was actually a very physical, natural human process that we believe God worked through to give us the book that we have and the words inside of it. So I do think it's actually very consistent because a lot of us are just kind of taught. And again, I think it's unintentional. I don't think it's an intentional thing, but we're, un, we're taught unintentionally just to go on faith. And we've been taught that the word faith means just to believe blindly. And even it's funny, I'm going through a book that talks a lot about the word faith and how that, how the word faith doesn't even really mean that in the scriptures, but we've been kind of taught to believe that faith just means you're blind and you just believe that you can't prove it. So it's just there. And that's not at all the faith of the Bible, actually. But I think that's crept into now this kind of world where when you combine that mentality with a view that you can never trust government unless it's Trump's government. And then we have this pandemic and people don't like that there's restrictions. And now they're trying to find something to confirm that this is bogus. Then they find people on YouTube who say that they're doctors or they're PhD people and there's no vetting process. They just say things. People go, ah, there's the proof. And then they share it because they've never been trained from the beginning to actually know how to research anything. And listen, I'm not saying that I, I'm not a researcher. None of us are researchers. But when you can look up someone's claim on Google in about 30 seconds, find five different articles that link to peer-reviewed studies of why that statement is false, it makes you wonder, like, how, is, how do people just, you know, watch a video and believe it blindly? Well, I think subliminally it could tie into the reality that we're kind of just taught, well, faith is just blind allegiance. You don't have to think about it. There's, you don't have to prove it. You just got to believe it. I don't know. I think maybe that's where some of this is coming from. Yeah. And just to be clear, you're talking about specifically our modern translations of the Bible. What do you mean? In that it's been like through a lot of time and through a lot of human hands over the years to get well, where it is today. I mean, even the original, whatever we have of the original original manuscripts, they were all penned by humans that God worked through over time. And then they were collected right. over years, you know? So yeah, I yeah. guess I'm saying modern translations, but also even the story of how the Bible was compiled. There's a whole history that we can trace of how it was, it was done. And it wasn't done by being beamed from heaven in the KJV down to earth. It just wasn't, you know? Yes, it was. Right. <laughs> but you're even in citing the KJV, you're talking about a translation that came about a thousand years after, sure. you know, all right. of this happened. But I'm just saying like, yeah, I mean, it's different. It's, I certainly agree with you that in its modern form today, it needs a lot closer consideration than most people give it. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, if something is true and real, we shouldn't be afraid to dig into it because it's true right. and real. There should, be no, there, there should be nothing that we should be scared of as Christians to dive into a history of a book that we believe is God's word speaking through humans and be afraid of what we're going to find if it's true. I mean, that, 
there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, for, even, yeah, go ahead. Even when Paul was writing his letters, he was giving a defense of himself on why he was the authority on what he was saying. So I would expect that he was expecting those that he was writing to, to be like, oh, let's think about this. Let's dig in. Was what is what Paul is saying? Is what um, Peter is saying here? Does that line up with the rest of the uh, of the apostles? Does it line up with everything else that's going on in our local church? It, is this true? So I think, you know, I, I I think it's it's something that from the beginning was part of the issue as well that should be through to today. And maybe like you're saying, Tim, we don't, myself included, don't do that enough. Yeah. And I think that another side of this that we have to be willing to admit is that things in life are not always as black and white as we want them to be. And that's a very important thing that I think, especially right now in our culture as a whole, we're really missing, right? We read a headline that's like six words and think that we know the whole story or whatever it is. And so I think that we're so divided of, of, on like, okay, it's either, you know, black or white. There can't be gray. It can't be in between. It can't be more nuanced than that. Cause our, our Twitter can't handle that many characters or our headlines can't fit that many words. So we're so polarized that it's either all one or all the other, you know, it's either just a man-made book or it's definitely just completely from God miraculously. It's like, well, no, there actually is this really beautiful tension that the Bible kind of holds and that that's a beautiful thing, but we're not, we don't know how to handle, I think, this like middle ground or this kind of combination of things. And I think that translates again into what we're seeing with this pandemic and with just how our politics are. People just are like, well, either the whole thing is just a giant conspiracy for some crazy reason, like deep state stuff, or no, like there's not one problem. Not one study has ever been flawed. And, you know, every scientist is totally ethical. It's like, well, no, there definitely isn't. There definitely is. It's more nuanced than that. But the problem, I think, is that when you hear one extreme, you tend to push to the other extreme. You know what I mean? And I've had to wrestle with that, too. Like, how do I explain on a Facebook post that I'm not like a very big fan of, like, you know, trusting pharmaceutical companies or or big government or even like all science because it's always changing. But at the same time, I'm not ready to go down the rabbit hole that, you know, like Bill Gates has planned this from like, you know, 2006 and just wants to inject it with the vaccine so he can make billions of dollars like i'm not going down that rabbit hole either it's way more nuanced than that you know seems like it's sort of like this exponential polarization that happens as you like you hold an opinion and maybe your opinion to begin with is closer to the center but then you find something that supports it and maybe a little more extreme way and you're like yeah that makes sense. And that supports what I'm saying. And they know how to say it even better than me. And then you find something else that pushes you even further and further. And if you're not careful, you end up way out in extreme crazy person land. Um, yeah. When what makes a lot more sense with a lot of things is something a lot closer to the center. Yeah. And I also think about in, in terms of like this pandemic, right. And what's happening at some point, there has to be a certain level of trust that the people who were in these positions like should be there. And I'm not saying everyone, right? I'm not saying that's, that's not a blanket statement. I'm not saying every single scientist or person in the CDC is ethical. But what I am saying is that none of us or the majority of us on Facebook are not even qualified or even understand how like research has to work for it to even be accepted as like a medical thing. And we all kind of like to be 
on the stands or on the sidelines just yelling like how it should be, but none of us really know. So it's like, well, you have to, at some level, there has to be a certain level of trust that if the CDC comes out with guidelines or whatever, you know, like someone comes out who's a doctor and says, I think this is the best route, that they have so much knowledge, understanding, and they, they live in a world of these experts kind of going back and forth that we have to have some faith in them. But I don't think that we do. I think that some people just, it doesn't matter what they say, they're always going to push against because there's something in their psyche that says they can't be telling the truth. It doesn't, and, and I've noticed too, it doesn't matter how many articles you send or how many, you know, Oxford.edu articles you, you send or how many studies you send, which by the way, you can't even interpret the studies. If you read an actual study, I mean, I got like two paragraphs in. I'm like, I can't, I don't, where's the conclusion? There's normally normally not a conclusion. Right, right. So you do have to trust that people are interpreting like these studies for us who can tell you like, yes, see the study is showing A, B, and C. But if that's not there, then I think it's really easy to find someone on YouTube, like this stupid pandemic video of this lady who pretty much for 26 minutes talks about how Anthony Fauci screwed her over and how, you know, all this stuff and how vaccines are this. And it's like, okay, but you'll believe that when there's really no sources cited. It's just a lady talking. You have no way to prove what she's saying is even close to true. But when someone sends you articles or data, you just reject it. I think that's because we're just so wired to think like, well, I can't trust this. But then we, but then the, um, the paradox is that we'll trust someone else who really gives us no reason to trust them. Besides, they're confirming our bias that, yeah, Bill Gates might be behind this and that, you know, if you get a vaccine, it could increase your chance of getting the flu. It's like, well, there's no proof of that, though. And if you look into the proof, there's, there's like for every one study that says that's a possibility, there's like 20 that you can find that all say that, that that's not the reality. You know what I mean? And so here we go. Yeah, I think it's important to have you're saying that like we need to have a certain amount of faith in these like people that are in the positions they're in expert expert positions. Um, And I think you're right. We should have a certain amount of faith or trust in those people, Um, especially if they're like, you know, scientists and experts in their fields or groups of those people. But at the same time, it's hard to completely like 100% trust some of those um, institutions. If you take the CDC, for example, it's hard to completely trust an institution when you see things either inconsistent or things that like are wrong or taken back. One small example, and I'm not saying this is a perfect example of this, but it's just one thing that's kind of like gave me this thought about the CDC specifically was their position on the whole face mask thing because it was literally like two months ago when this all started and we got notices at work that were like CDC guidelines that were like no don't wear masks it could actually make it worse you tend to touch your face more all these things Um, you don't need to do that and then you know a month later when it's like oh no we have to do something they're like um okay you should wear face masks now and obviously you know things could have changed new information whatever in that time but it still makes it hard sometimes to completely trust even an organization like the cdc which is supposed to be you know completely trustable (laughs) i i hear what you're saying oh good good rob i what you so I I'm going to show you what I wrote down before you started talking. 
<laughs> oh, it's like a magic trick. Oh, <laughs> what does it say? I can't, I can't see it, Rob. Christians inherently distrust the world system. So our title is why Christians make great conspiracy theorists. And I think not intentionally, but what the heart of what you were saying, Jordan, is something that I've been thinking about that Christians inherently distrust the world system because it's, you know, read the scriptures. It's controlled by the devil. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's behind the world systems. If you go back to what we've, you know, talked about, um, Tim and the Bible Project talking about the fall and the rebellion of the spiritual realm and how they've twisted the nation. We have this mindset that says anything that's controlled by humans, I have an automatic distrust because we're fallen creatures, because um, spiritual beings have a serious influence in political spheres and world powers. And so if there's an organization that is separate from, let's say, Christianity, I think in our minds, there's this automatic distrust for what they're saying. And if we can get someone to, to confirm that bias, I think it goes right into it that, well, see, they were wrong about this. And sin has so corrupted us that they're even corrupting these, quote unquote, good agencies that are for our good. And I'm not saying that there's not some truth to it, but that I think it that bias is taken too far in some instances, because like Tim was getting at, God did give us intellect. He gave us the tools to research. He, he gave us, um, you know, just the human ingenuity to be able to discover and rule. And he gave us the freedom and the will to be able to decide and choose and do all of these things. Um, but that's, that's my two cents anyway. Can I add one thing to that? And Jordan, this is not really arguing with you directly, but no, I have heard <laughs> that kind of argument before. So here's another thing to consider. I feel like in that case, right? Someone well, for, we'll say the CDC is damned if they do damned if they don't let's say they, they think on best evidence. Okay. No face mask. Turns out it's a good idea. And they don't say anything. Then it's, oh, look, the CDC, they hid this from us. Like they have, they are just corrupt. They're hiding the truth or they change. And whew, how can we trust them? Like, look, they're already wrong about this. Mm -hmm. And I think the filter we have to have is that one of the things about science, from what I understand, and again, it's pretty limited, is that a good scientist follows the data despite their bias. And so if the CDC or whoever, you know, Fauci, whatever is saying, hey, I've changed my mind. This actually might be a good idea. To me, that speaks to their character that they're willing to admit, yeah, we were totally, based on the data we had at the time, wrong, and this is the new guidelines. But again, everything will get twisted because I think we do have this standard of like perfection that no government, no institution, no scientist can ever be wrong because they're claiming to know everything, which I don't think that's really true. And so once they are, people just, oh, there's the proof I need. Like the CDC has no clue what they're doing. Well, this is a brand new thing for all of us. I mean, I don't think the CDC a year ago had this virus in their lab. Like, well, when we unleash this on the public, you know, like can't wait. I think that there's a lot of unknowns. And because of that, the data, it kind of, it definitely is changing all the time. I mean, even projections, CDC projections have changed a little bit. And part of that's because of how, of how they report deaths. Some of the time, it's more lagged than they thought, all this kind of stuff. But you know, I don't know, man. Like to me, it's, it's like, 
to be to get your doctorate in anything i mean i, I was talking to paul Gutiker the other the other day it took him like you know i think like seven or eight years to talk to, to get his phd in like one topic that he had to, that he had to defend from all his other people when people get their phd and they, and they give their life to like research and like you know vaccine research all this stuff i just i have a hard time thinking like that that the majority of people in that community are just intentionally hiding the truths that you know this is all planned and that the vaccine vaccines are really are overall way more dangerous than we ever thought it's just hard to believe that that's like the medical community is doing that behind the scenes and there's also very little widespread evidence of that again can you find a bad apple anywhere of course you can in any system you know um i was talking to another friend of mine about this and i'm like dude what what other system do you expect to be flawless none i mean the food industry has e coli outbreaks no one says oh that's intentional the food industry is just unleashing e coli on the world no one says that toyota had a big problem with with their cars not breaking like 10 years ago no one thought that intentionally toyota is like cutting brake lines in cars right but for some reason in the medical field we just think that if there's someone does something wrong or there's a mistake somewhere it was intentional designed to bring the whole system down it doesn't work in any other subject of our life besides this one and it's just to me, it's just so crazy. Yeah, I will say, clarify what I was saying about the CDC before is not so much that I think that's the extreme reaction is what you're describing, where you automatically go to like conspiracy theory or they're out to get us kind of thing. And that's yeah. not at all what I mean. In fact, I think correcting a mistake is a sign of integrity yeah. that would cause me to have greater respect for an organization like that. The problem is, and again, maybe I am expecting too much from them hmm. that they need to be perfect, but right. it's still, you guys made a mistake. It's great that you admitted, admitted it, right. but at one point in time, you were saying this thing was unhealthy for me to do. And now at this point in time, you're saying the exact same thing is healthier for me to do. Right. You know, it's like, which is it? I mean, hmm. it's great if the one that you said most recently is the correct answer, but how can I now 100% trust the things you say? <laughs> you know, and it's it's right. that it's more towards that middle ground. I think is that you can't 100% trust everything that comes from anywhere, if only for the fact that they're human and they don't know everything. <laughs> yes, and that's what yes. we have to understand. That doesn't mean they're out to get you. To right. your point, um, one more response to Rob's thing in defense of. Uh, conspiracy theorist Christians. <laughs> um, and to your point, it, ma it makes sense what you're saying. I get it. Um, but as believers and even supported by Tim Mackey videos, if we want to make that <laughs> our support for everything. The standard. The standard. <laughs> no, but see, but really as you know, believers in the Bible we, and Christians, we do believe that there are spiritual things happening in the world behind the scenes mm -hmm. and you know that we can't see going on and if you explain that to someone who's not a bible does not have a biblical worldview i'll say um or try to use that as a reason for something it certainly comes off as very conspiracy theory you know or and then or if you have an opinion about something and that is your reason because you know that there's spiritual things going on behind the scenes and you don't explain that then it seems like you have no reason. So it's, again, it's kind of like you're in this hard position where it's like, we do believe these things are happening behind the scenes. And, but what does that mean for what we see on the surface? You know, if we're going to claim 
you know, this uh, thing that's happening in the world has some spiritual component to it, we're going to sound crazy. And not that that's a bad thing that we sound crazy. You know, it was kind of, we kind of got told that from the beginning. Um, but then if we don't give support for it, we also kind of sound crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. Or, or we put it in weird ways. I mean, uh, this is a true story. Right. I was talking to a person on Facebook who was like, well, God told me that vaccines are dangerous and I believe it. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like you just ruined it for everyone. I mean, you're the reason why, <laughs> people don't take Christians seriously whenever they hear that God spoke to me because you come up with crazy things like this, you know, and I agree Jordan, like there's definitely, you know, obviously in the world as Christians, we believe that, that there is a spiritual and physical and there's an overlap and it's really intertwined that things are happening behind the scenes and that, mm-hmm. you know, according to Tim Mackey, as humans, we kind of have to choose like, like, are we going to be part of like, you know, this kingdom or that kingdom and, you know, use God's wisdom or, you know, the tree, all this kind of stuff. I agree with that completely. Um, I think what's tough is that for me right now, especially it's very hard just to see so many. And again, by so many, I really mean like people on my feed, right? That's where we're getting most of like our version of the, it's a reality. I mean, that's, that's where most of us get this from. Right. So, but it's like when you see just over and over again, people whose like titles like worship pastor, pastor, you know, this person, it's just like pandemic, open your eyes. And it's like, what? I, I, there's just so little sense of like, Hmm. Like, you know, it just seems like everyone, not everyone, but it seems like a lot of people deep down are like, I really deep down think that the government wants to kill us all. And it's a tyrannical government and that this is all planned. Oh, look, I found a YouTube video that proves that share and you're like uh uh, okay like there's nothing posted in that video that gives you any sense of source and again in about 30 seconds two of the claims i found them right away like the studies that refuted those claims it's like guys like it's so easily refuted but again the argument then becomes well how can you trust that why would you trust that so it really comes down to this distrust of anything that is popular anything that is like seen as trustworthy there's like an immediate response of like no it, it's not trustworthy but this thing that isn't trustworthy is a hundred percent trustworthy and we should mm. definitely believe it so it's it's you really can't argue with that kind of logic because it's not really logical there isn't logic happening it's more of just i feel this way this confirms it i'm sharing it doesn't matter what you send me i will not believe it because this documentary did not say that yeah it's kind of funny to me because it's like anyone who's gone to college, you know, in your first or second semester in college, you definitely took an English 101 class in which you learned to write a research paper. And the first thing they taught you was how to find reputable sources. (laughs) It's like the very first thing you learn in college because you need it for every other class you're going to be in. When you write a paper, you have to find reputable sources. And it's just kind of funny that it's like once you get into life those things can kind of go out the window yeah yeah could you like imagine if i was doing engineering work and i was just like ah let me find this guy's randall blog (laughs) and use his equations i'm sure they're fine i'm going to use these youtube blueprints i've asked him that question before i'm like again so rob that's a great example which i've brought up before to people is let's say that like my buddy rob who's an engineer says this is the right way to build this house because he's a mechanical engineer and this is what he does he's an architect and he knows what he's doing because he's been trained by the system to use, you know, logic and training to build the house. And I come along and I'm like, no, nope, that's totally wrong. 
I'm not <laughs> trained or anything. And or if I was trained, I was actually expelled from the school, but I'm still trained. This is totally backwards. You want you don't need blueprints. Here's how you do it. Who are you gonna trust? Everyone with a right mind would say, obviously, you're gonna trust the person who knows the research, who does this for a living, because we trust him. But again, once we get to this medical field, especially because of of how the pandemic is affecting people's lives, it's very linked into like a political lens of tyranny, the government's taking away my rights, like this government wants to, you know, erase religion, they're just trying to get the man down, it's overblown. Because of that, now the distrust the distrust of the medical community is so high because it comes from that worldview of the government is not my friend. The government wants to take away my rights. So we're already off off on the you know completely wrong foot. And then this just you know serves to confirm that bias. I would trust whichever one of you is more charismatic and supports my preconceived notions of how to build a house. <laughs> <laughs> I can build this staircase with no supports because that's what I want. I saw it in a I saw it in a movie one time. It was floating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There definitely is a big distrust of government. It comes it's which is kind of funny right now. Because Trump is the one who's the government. So I don't know how that's supposed to work. Like Dr. Fauci was put on the coronavirus task force by Trump. So where's the Trump hate? I don't know. But it is very interesting just to be seeing like so many people are just convinced that this pandemic is just, you know, it's just either overblown or man-made. And here's the thing. I'll be really honest. I run a, I work for a small business. I help run it family business it definitely has hurt us there's no doubt i understand that we have to have conversations around how this virus spreads how do we you know contain it while also not ruining the economy i know that businesses have lost money especially small businesses i i'm totally all about getting us back to open as soon as humanly possible i'm all about it my guys are not working right now we want to get them back on on the books and, and, and working so i'm not just like you know oh like you know i work for a huge corporation they're just paying me i can wait forever no i run a small business you know i totally get it but we also have to be aware of like how this thing spreads how many people it's killed even with social distancing and if people who have given their life to how viruses behave how they react how they spread are saying that like our biggest defense right now even though it really hurts is to keep our distance and the shelter in place. Okay, like we then that I'll I'll take the short-term consequence for the long as opposed to a long-term consequence, you know? So it is a very tricky situation. I think obviously every state has to react to it differently. New Jersey is way more densely populated than Wyoming or Montana. So I think there's obviously different rules that have to get in place. But which is I think is great. I think if Trump has done anything really right, he's given states the power. He hasn't made any any widespread federal rules. He said, Hey, each state. And then each state said primarily every, you know, local municipality, how do you want to handle this? Like, for example, Murphy did, um, did close all the state parks, but all the local parts were open, were up to each, you know, township as far as what they wanted to do. That's how the government should work. It's small, it's focused, and it gets to handle situations correctly for its people. It's not a huge from the top blanket thing. But even that doesn't satisfy people, you know. Now I see, oh, Murphy's just—he's uh, a—he's a—he's a big tyrant. He's my my right to assemble and religious. It's like, guys, I don't know what more you want to do. We're the most densely populated state in America. If this thing takes off, it's going to be completely uncontainable. So it's very tricky yeah. for sure. It's nuanced. I do have to keep reminding myself of like the local thing 
and that question, that aspect of it, because it's so easy to see the social media stuff and, you know, the worst of the worst happening and the news reports and whatnot, and then forget that maybe in your area or other areas, it's not nearly that bad. Um, and I think that's important kind of on both sides of it, because mm -hmm. you can't expect everyone to follow the same, you know, guidelines as New York and North Jersey are going to for the next few months, because, you know, in Kentucky even, and we're not the best of states, it's already seen cases drop significantly already. So it's like, you have to take it locally from that direction. And then even from the other direction too, it's like, you can't, think just because it's not so bad where you are that it's it's okay everywhere else you know there are places that are have been hit so hard <laughs> and you know having connections for us i feel like it's unique um for us and, and maybe you feel this way too rob just living in a state where things aren't as bad but then having a lot of personal connections to an, a place where it's way worse kind of getting to see have a personal connection to both sides of it kind of in that way um i was watching um this like medical thing about coronavirus and why why the response to this virus over other viruses that we've had like ebola was a big scare mm -hmm. for a while and one of the things that they said that i thought made a lot of sense is that what's scary about about a virus is not is not even so much its death rate it's more about how easily does it infect and also how long can you spread before you realize that you're contagious. Right, right. And Ebola, once you have it and once the symptoms happen, you're pretty much dead. So you really can't spread it. You know, that's why that's why it was so contained. Even though it's highly dead, it's you know, your mortality rate is very high. Mm -hmm. You don't spread it around because you don't you're not symptomatic or you're not um, contagious until you start showing symptoms. By the time you're showing symptoms, you're pretty much dead, right? Did you ever play that game on the, that came out on iPhone? I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. <laughs> it just Whoa. reminds me. Oh, uh, what game? Jordan? There was a game. That, it was like a virus game. It was, and it, your goal was to like control the virus. Pandemic. The world was it called? Pandemic. There's game? a board game called Pandemic that I'm sure is an iPhone game. It's great. It was something like that, but that's what it was. It was like you controlled the infection rate and like how the symptoms presented themselves, and if you made it the thing that people died too quickly, it wouldn't spread. I'm right. Just, my point being, it's taught me a lot about <laughs> virus. <laughs> Forget YouTube. I have an iPhone game that's taught me all I need to know. <laughs> yeah, it's very um, accurate, factually accurate. So the problem with COVID-19, again, this is what the scientists and experts are saying, mm. is that it doesn't have a crazy high death rate, which we know. The problem is that you can infect people without knowing that you're sick. And it also is highly contagious. That that's the problem. So one person could be out and about for two or three weeks, or I guess seven to 10 days before they even show symptoms, spreading that around at a much higher rate than the flu. So I was like, well, that makes so much more sense of why people are treating this so seriously, because if you infect, you know, even a hundred million Americans, you know, at one time, even if a fraction, one or 2% of them is, uh, dies and out of, and let's say maybe 10% need to be hospitalized, you're still risking a huge surge on medical systems and people getting sick and dying. Yeah. So I understand, and it, it, it does seem like the death rates have dropped, which is good. That's another big thing I hear from people like, oh, see, the death rates are way, they're way under what they predicted. 
yes, that's a great thing. We yeah, want lower we did, death rates. You because know? we did what they t- told right. us to do. It's like, oh, wait, are you saying that their <laughs> advice in this case actually is working and they're actually under prediction? That's amazing. <laughs> so it does seem like the social distancing thing is working. And I, I'm reading now, and even Ben Shapiro, all right, everyone on there who's conservative, Ben Shapiro, who I know you love and trust, has said that 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 people are worried now about if we do get back to some sense of normalcy, a second wave. Now, listen, maybe we can't prevent that. I mean, maybe that's just something that we have to face as a, a society, brace ourselves, be ready, do our best that we can. I, I don't know what the right answer is. I'm certainly not saying that we need to continue to be as shut down as we are or open everything up. But the point is, is that it's a much more nuanced conversation than this is way underplayed. Oh, keep everything locked down. Well, no, there has to be something in the middle because small business, their margins are not, they're not huge. Unlike an Apple or an Amazon or a Starbucks, you know, where they, a company like that has a lot of, has access to either cash on hand or has a good amount of money saved up. Small businesses don't have billions of dollars in the bank <laughs> to pay employees indefinitely. And right. so I totally understand the rub of like, okay, small businesses that are roughly half of the economy have to like get back to work, especially the food and hospitality industry. But if we do that, we really risk having a second wave in overwhelming systems, which is what we tried to avoid the first time. So that's kind of the tension that we have to wrestle with, but no one wants to have that discussion because unfortunately our political system has already, each side's already claimed a side. So conservatives are like, it's underplayed, open everything up. And liberals are like, no, don't you care about every life? And so now that the whole thing is politicized, everyone in their own camp is like, well, the other camp sucks because they're for this. And now the conversation is totally lost. So this hyper-partisan, hyper, everything is political, you know, this whole lens that we see the world from in America, that that whatever you say is automatically like... Um, deposited into a political side it really takes away from the nuance of the conversation yeah and here we are we're fighting over things like this it's, it's crazy yeah and i automatically disagree with you i knew it because of how much of a raging liberal you are <laughs> yes to, to take a to take a step back Go birdie. just kidding because we've been kind of we want to talk about conspiracy theories as a whole and we're kind of pigeoned into um the pandemic right now obviously for normal reasons yes it's a hot button topic and we need to maintain viewers rob we need to maintain the viewers <laughs> and I, viewers are money rob yeah. <laughs> not in our situation but for most people viewers are money but Amen. when uh tim when you posted kind of what we were going to talk about i really appreciated justin bronson's screenshot so yes bring, let's do bring, it to bring that full circle and talk about that this was what he what he said conspiracy theories have become the preferred hiding place for christians who don't want to face the very real oppression that surrounds them and affects others Hmm. conspiracy theories also reinforce the belief that as a christian i am not blind like them i have seen the light the truth has set me free it's a form of pride not humility turn off pandemic Stand up for Ahmad Arbery. All right, guys, buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> go ahead, Rob, my liberal friend. <laughs> he hey, said, "Take a step that. back." He oh, said, right. "Take a step back," and that's not very progressive. Sorry. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I already forgot of, what you said. 
I see a lot of truth in this. So basically, conspiracy theories are the preferred hiding place for Christians because it's a thing of pride. I'm smart. Look, I don't believe what the whole world believes. Yeah. Just like in Christianity, the whole world has rejected Christ. And I have found truth and freedom in him. Mm. And we, we kind of talked about this the other night when we were just chatting, that the gospel even has become about me. The gospel has become about us. And we take that, that same thing and we apply it to these other scenarios in life where, well, look how smart I am. I don't, I don't see the medical community for what everybody else sees them as. I know their real agenda. I'm not a sheep. Yeah. And we, we, we like hide in these, these groups, these echo chambers where we can confirm and um, kind of pat each other on the back because of how smart and intelligent yeah. and superior we are, where like this very poignantly said, we're missing the actual oppressions and that are around us and lives that are being affected. And we're missing the calling in our life to be salt, to be a light, to be love, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to those around us. But Rob, yeah. we are the salt of the world because we tell the world how much they suck and how much they're going to hell in a handbasket and that if they just repent and see the light, you know, that's being salt. It's just proselytizing and yelling at people and letting them know that they are terrible and that they're all liberals unless they repent. The other side of that, Rob, just to completely ignore what Tim said, <laughs> is that, um, no, I'm kidding. Um, is I also feel like in addition to help making people feel like they're smarter, it also allows us to feel like we are being persecuted. And we love to feel like we're being persecuted, mm-hmm. even though we live in a Western society where, you know, we don't understand the meaning of the word persecution um, in the way that people in other parts of this, the world even today do, let alone over the past 2000 years. Um, and that's, I think, another thing that you can, you, it's easy when you see something like that and you hear this explanation that allows you to feel like a victim in that. And that's not a, just a Christian thing for sure. I think playing the victim is something that happens on all sides <laughs> for sure. For certainly. sure. Um, but as Christians, I think that's kind of something that we fall into sometimes is wanting to feel not obviously not wanting to be persecuted, but wanting to like point things out and be like, this is how we're persecuted because we don't want to admit that we live, you know, a really easy life and we have a really easy time of it and how privileged we are. (laughs) Don't use that word. I just did. And I used it on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, both of you guys make great points and Oh, sheesh. It's this. Uh, the problem with this topic is that there's so much underneath of it that we've had, you know, um, on the side about just even our theology, kind of what we've been in our studies and kind of just kind of seeing this like theme throughout the Bible um, that ties back to like, is there an individual view of salvation? Absolutely. In scripture. But there's also a much bigger sense of what God is doing through groups of people that we just tend to ignore often and we don't realize maybe more of the communal implications that the gospel and that and that jesus and the narrative of the bible has for people and as christians how we're called to be a part of that 
So it is tough to kind of have this discussion because we're kind of starting, you know, off of that stuff. But I agree with you, Rob. Like there definitely is a sense of, and I, we had this discussion offline. I said, I think if there's one thing that we as evangelical Christians need to repent of, it is pride. We are convinced that we are just so right, that we are so, you know, foolproof. The world can't get one over me. And even in denominations, people have this kind of view. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about how some people in the more extreme reformed fundamentalist movement are just convinced that anything outside of their little stream of Christianity is heretical and unbiblical and they don't know the real gospel. And like, and then we, what we'll, we'll mask it. We'll never admit that we're prideful. We'll just never admit that we're wrong. And we'll admit that we're really humble. Oh, it's all God's grace. As I never admit that I'm wrong about anything. And so the issue of pride, I think really part of that does come from just the culture we live in because American pride is a very big thing, right? It's a big American exceptionalism. We're number one. We're unique. We do things the best. The world doesn't know what they're, you know, oh, Eastern countries, they don't know how to do things the right way. We do. And so I think that translates right into our view of the Bible of, well, oh, we definitely have the Bible figured out. We definitely know all the right things. And we definitely, like you said, Rob, have the truth. And our eyes have been opened and we're not cheap like the rest of the world. So it, that kind of mentality, I think, easily crosses over to other parts of life, including what we're talking about here with like, oh, like all these sheep who believe these experts. <laughs> Ridiculous. Like, here's the real truth. Open your eyes. You should see this video I saw. That's just some lady talking who says she has proof, but doesn't, doesn't prove it. This is the real truth. And before you know it, you look and you're like, huh. We're really, we're, we're really so far off mission now. I mean, the whole mission of the Christian has nothing to do with trying to find big government or deep state issues. That is not the role. But now that's become such a big part of what Christians are known for, <laughs> you know, is like just trying to make sure that the government doesn't tread on them and stamp out their Christian rights that they're that aren't being stamped out. You know, it's, it's really crazy how backwards this all is. It's, it's almost like we've taken the words of Jesus in John 15, where he says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And we're like, we are going to make the world hate us. And that's how we know we're one of Jesus's. But that's not what he's saying at all when he's going through why the world will hate you. And right. it, it's not like, it's just a complete twist of what the heart of Jesus was in saying that was, yes, the the world system that we were talking about earlier jordan where it's controlled by satan and it wants to thwart all things that god uh calls holy and good yes that world system will hate a christian who's living a life for christ for god being a light being uh one that's doing good things but it doesn't mean that every single person that you come across is going to hate you or your co-workers at work are going to um, not like that you're a Christian. That's not what that's saying. It's saying the world system that's behind it that we talk about, that we acknowledge is what's going to hate you. Well, think about that. What if the world system in our culture is our American capitalist, you know, system? Now all of a sudden, oh, well, no, no, that system. Now, now we, we can't touch that, right? But that's what's so interesting is if you look at the narrative of the Bible, I mean, start in Exodus, God is against the empire that is enslaving people and he's for the oppressed and he liberates the oppressed by pretty much destroying empire. And then you look at the narrative of Jesus who his disciples thought was going to just conquer Rome, conquer the empire. 
That was the whole thing. Con the empire, the empire, the empire. And he doesn't do it that way. Instead, he subverts the whole thing by letting by letting violence kill him and then resurrecting by conquering it. So there's a lot to be said about empire and those systems that really, you know, control people and keep people below the poverty line, whatever. But because they're already in a political lens in America, and that lens is not conducive to what we think is a Christian worldview at all. We can't speak about that without being labeled socialist, liberal. And here's the thing. I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm just pointing out that if you read the Bible, read the Exodus story, there's empire, Egypt, which that is, that's what stands for empire is Egypt. Babylon. Babylon. And then there's these little guys, the Israelites who were enslaved and God rescues them out of slavery. That should tell us something about the God that we claim to follow and, and to serve. And I'm definitely not saying that we as Christians should be like the zealots and resort to violence or, you know, try and destroy. It isn't the point. But we should definitely be way more aware and not so blind that there are real systems that really do enslave people financially. Um, it could be racially in all different ways, you know, geographically. And that we should be aware that, that, that it's still a thing. And that it's okay to speak out against it because that's exactly what we see in the Bible. I mean, what's one of the reasons why God punished the Israelites? Well, they neglected the orphan, the widow, and the poor. That they, The oppressed became the oppressor. That's a big theme we see in the story of the Israelites, among, of course, other things. But that's one of the big threads that we see. God says, hey, make sure when I liberate you, you don't become like who you, who, who, who you were liberated from. And then like a couple generations later, they have slaves. Solomon's building up an army with all these chariots, even though God told them not to. So it's just an interesting thing to see that the Bible does speak about social issues and political issues, but we've kind of been trained that as Christians in America, it's only a couple specific social issues and the rest we can't touch because they're liberal and liberals are bad and want to ruin America. So you can't have a real discussion about it. He didn't say it, but Tim has just been quoting a Tim Mackey video for the last five minutes. <laughs> I have not. I, 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 call, I got it. Who's Tim Mackey? You, you, you use some phrases in there. Several in a row, in fact. I use Empire. straight out of a Tim Mackey. But you know what's funny, though? That's all, and, and people are really going to probably not like this. Uh, that's also straight out of some old Rob Bell books, too. Uh, in the book, uh, Jesus yeah. Wants to Save Christians. He talks a ton about that, well, so it's just interesting. Rob, you're in control of this video chat, so you can just pick <laughs> yeah. it out now. All right, all right, everyone have a good night. <laughs> uh, I had a real response, though, to what you were saying, Tim. Go ahead. Um, is that I think a lot of times as Americans, we have this tendency to pick and choose on one side or the other, for sure. We mm -hmm. pick and choose historical things that support what we want to believe about our country. Um, for example, when you're saying, you know, look at how the Bible talks about empire versus or, or oppressor versus oppressed and empire versus, you know, the people that the empire is dominating. And of course, most everyone is going to say America is not an empire. You know, we're not the people that are oppressing. We're the people that have we're about freedom and liberty. And and yes, that is a, a big part of the history of our country. And if you pick certain parts of the history of our country and look at them by themselves, it paints a pretty nice looking picture of, you know, an underdog country who threw off, you know, the foreign oppressors and at times has been able to do that for other people um, in other parts of the world. But if you look at history of our country as a whole and kind of the trajectory of where we've come, 
and where we're going, you start to see and you, our country starts to look a lot more and more like one of those oppressor peoples. And it might not look the same as it did in biblical times, obviously. Totally. You know, and, and the oppression doesn't come in the same forms that it did then, but that doesn't mean it's any less real. <laughs> yeah, I think that's completely right. And we have to be, I think we have to be honest, right? And I think honesty says America has done a lot of good things. One, one thing I think America has done is that it is, there are people in, this, in the government, in, in local places who are trying to change bad things about America. Like they see that there's problems and they want to change it. That's, I think that, that, that's amazing. And we have, we definitely, if you look back from, you know, a hundred years ago or so to now, obviously things have changed in a lot of ways. I think, I think that's really good. Right. But we also have to be honest that, that a, there are still things happening today that are just wrong. As we saw with Ahmad, obviously is a great example mm -hmm. of that among other things. Um, and B, it wasn't too long ago where we still had a pretty public race issue. I mean, a great example is you guys have all seen, uh, re remember the, the Titans with Denzel Washington, mm -hmm. you know, that movie, that coach, the real coach, he just died like two years ago. I mean, <laughs> okay. So in this guy's lifetime, he was part of a system that segregated where, you know, whites wanted blacks out and you know, all, all this kind of hatred and all these things. And it wasn't too long ago. And I will give them credit. They since have apologized, but you know, Bob Jones University, a huge Christian college, almost lost its federal funding for not allowing black people into the school. Now, they since have changed their stance. The president apologized. I think that's amazing. And that's what we need more repentance in the world. But we can't pretend that like these systems, including some Christian systems, were always on the right side of things. I mean, even and again, I'm probably I'm probably pushing some buttons here, but the moral majority movement was not primarily started over abortion. That came later. It was primarily started over school segregation with Jerry Falwell. So we have to be aware of these things, right? And we have, to, we have to be willing to admit and say, you know what? We were wrong about this. We really were. Like, we were not on the right side. That doesn't mean the whole system needs to be thrown out or that, you know, all Christians are racist. That is not what I'm saying. But we can't just sugarcoat realities that some Christians and a lot of Southern Baptist preachers in that time were on the wrong side of this discussion. And all we can do from there is learn, have some humility, and realize that even now as Christians, what are we missing? that maybe in 60 years from now, someone might look back on and say, how could they not see it? It was right in front of them. You know, for me, I think an easy one is some of this Black Lives Matter stuff. I understand it's, it's polarized, it's politicized, but we have to take seriously the stories of our fellow brothers and sisters, people of color who have real stories of how they've been affected in that way and take them seriously and not just blow it off as well. It's probably just an exception. It doesn't really, racism doesn't really exist anymore. It just kind of happens in pockets. Like, no, if, if everyone I'm talking to and everyone I know and their friends all have these stories and that's widespread, there has to be something bigger happening. And we have to be willing to be humble about that and admit that we have a problem in our country and then address the problem and help fix it. I don't understand what the, I don't, I don't understand why that's so hard. You know, I really don't. Yeah. And it, it, it comes back to as well. Why, why are we so against truth, finding out truth, finding out what's really happening? Why are we, but instead we want to believe things that go against our bias. And I was, I watched, you know, one of the commentators um, talking about the Ahmed Aubrey um, murder, let's call it that. And yeah, absolutely. Um, his, his thing was just like, okay, if they made a bad 
if they made a bad judgment call um, in their decision to pursue this guy, um, why that, that is never okay. That doesn't justify murder. Your poor decision never justifies taking another person's life. And that's what I think we should come back to is we've lost the value of a life because it's, well, a two white guys hunting down a black guy uh, or whatever the, whatever the scenario is of race, we've lost the value of this is a life that was lost. And I, I don't know if you guys follow Lecrae, um, but he, he posted uh, a little while ago when this all came out, you know, praying for the family of Ahmed Aubrey. He didn't make any statement. He didn't say any, anything other than he's just praying for the family because they lost a son, let's be real. And there was so much hate that came on it about, oh, this is typical Lecrae going uh, with his liberal agenda again. And he's just like, a lost life is a lost life. Why right. are we so against that? Hmm. Right. And it kind of comes full circle about we've lost care, we've lost truth, we've lost all of these things in our pursuit of just confirming our own bias. Well, I think two things about that, and this is hypothetical, but I would imagine if there was a real problem of atheists hunting down Christians and shooting them, like, you know, we saw it on the videos all the time, and every couple of days a new video of some unarmed Christian was being shot. I would really imagine that the Christian community would really be like very publicly outspoken about how this is a major epidemic and needs to stop. And then when atheists would say, well, statistically, there's more Christian on Christian crime than, you know, atheists on Christian crime. They'd be like, <laughs> uh, you know, like I could just imagine if everything was reversed and it affected you personally. Listen, it, it, I thought about that. I'm like, you know, if that was happening and I just watched a video of two people kill a Christian. I would be scared to go outside. I absolutely would be terrified to go outside with my wife as a Christian. And like, I would just be scared. Like, it's a very scary thing to see, but we don't see it like that because it doesn't affect us. So I think when, yeah. when it doesn't affect you or your people or like your culture, ah, well, that stinks, but Hey, I don't have to live in fear. You know, I, I've never been pulled over and thought, I think this guy's racially profiling me. It's not something I have to live with. So we don't know how to actually empathize with someone that, in a situation that we haven't experienced ourselves, And the second thing I'll say is I think this really ties back to this idea that a major problem we have in our, in our current culture is that everything is so politicized and you can't have a real discussion without just being labeled a certain thing. I mean, I'm guilty of that. Okay. If someone says I want to own a gun, I do. I think like, oh, here we go. Right wing, like must be pro-Trump, must be anti this, must be, you know, I do think that I'm not saying it's right, but I have to fight like that perspective. Like, well, you know, don't assume, but it's just so ingrained that if you want to be able to legally own a firearm for self-defense, you must be this, you know, crazy conservative who just loves Trump and loves everything he's doing. And if you think that, you know, we have some racial inequalities in America that are systemic, you must just be this crazy socialist AOC type who wants to burn the whole system down. And that's not for most people. That's just not the case. But we are just trained. We are programmed to put certain statements, even the word privilege, Jordan, that goes in the left wings, it, right? That goes in the left wing. Conspiracy, that goes in the right wing. Like they, they automatically separate themselves. And it's such a, a major issue. I don't know how to solve it. I really don't. I don't think that we can, um, especially like anytime soon. But I think the first, <laughs> the, first, the first step in solving it is to realize that we have a major problem with politics. It's huge. It affects yeah. everything.
I think I said this to you kind of the other night too, that an aspect of that is that when you kind of become someone who's known for talking about politics, it's then really hard to, to have a conversation about anything yeah. and be like, leave politics out of it. When like 10 minutes ago, you were like, politics, politics, politics. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, it, it makes me think of, uh, you'll like this reference, Rob, biblical example. Um, when <laughs> David was like, I want to build this temple. And God was like, no you're too much of a warrior. You know, this is, that's not what this is about. And it wasn't that David was wrong, like to do that. He was doing the things God asked him to do. And that's not necessarily the greatest example of this, <laughs> but I think that totally disengaging from politics as Christians is not necessarily the right way to go, right. but maybe there are people who are meant to be more engaged with politics and people who are meant to be less engaged with politics so that they can have conversations about these things without that sort of, I don't know, I'll say tainted, kind of tainted by politics as a person, um, not necessarily in a bad way, but just kind of that you, you don't have that preconceived opinion by other people about what you're talking Wait, about. Hold on, Tim. I, I, I have an example of what you're Go ahead, saying. Rob. And we were, it's because in our midweek Bible study, we're going through Hebrews 11. And one of the guys made a really good point because it goes through, you know, the heroes of faith of Hebrews 11, and it talks about Joseph and how his life of faith led him to be a powerful leader in Egypt. And he brought blessing to so many nations in that role as basically second in command in all of Egypt, which was the most powerful empire of all time. And God is saying that's a good thing. But then it comes to Moses. And Moses was in the same exact situation where he was the son, the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter and was being set up to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. He, he had the claim to the throne, as it were. And what, did he, what, did Mo, what was right for Moses to do was to leave and say, I'm not going to be associated with Pharaoh's daughter. I'm going to associate instead with the people of God and I'm going to forsake Egypt. And I thought it was a great point because so often we look at every situation as if it's black and white. And if you're doing this, that is wrong. You have to be doing this to be living what God has called us to be as Christians. And I, I've fallen guilty of that at myself is, well, how could, how could any Christian be a pro athlete because they play so many games on Sundays and you can't be a part of your local church? Well, maybe that's not what God has called me to. But God could call someone else to that role or to a political office or to be a Supreme Court justice or whatever, yeah. a, a teacher in a local school. And God has called us to be there to be what he needs us to be in that situation. And it would not behoove us to look at somebody else and try to judge them on their life decisions when we have the, the two examples of two people in the same exact position that God called to do totally different things. Great point. That's absolutely right. It is easy to fall into how can you be in the military and be a Christian or how can you right. not be in the military and be a Christian? So, <laughs> well, you know, God does, you know, assign people to different roles and ultimately it's not up to us, you know, in that way. Um, I even think about, you know, police officers. I know plenty of great Christian officers who are just good people who want to uphold the law equally for everyone, right? And I think God's using them in those 
in that culture of kind of helping to be part of the change. Then I think of guys like Shane Claiborne, who lives in Philly in Kensington, you know, who's part of a small group and is working on making uh, old guns into tools for gardening. I'm like, I love that. That's such a cool idea. I think it's great. So these things that might seem at odds are still being used by God in their respective ways to help accomplish um, the kingdom in that life. And I think that both people are both very sincere Christians <laughs> who want to love people as best as they can in their roles. Uh, but like you said, Rob, the problem definitely is people, we just love, I think we love being categorized or being in a certain category because it's just so neat and clean. It's not messy. You don't have to admit that you're ever wrong. You can just say, no, this is my view. You can just suck it if you don't like it. You know, that, that perspective is just easier than having to engage in like, wow, yeah, that really is a good point. You know, as, as a police officer, I never thought about the risks that you take whenever you go up to someone's car. That is something for us to really consider. Or, yeah, like Shane, what you're doing, melting guns and kind of making the statement that, you know, Christ is a nonviolent God in the, in the sense of what Jesus did, I think it's a really beautiful imagery of, of like what we could do as humans to be part of God's good earth. But again, that's way more nuanced than Shane's a socialist commie liberal and <laughs> all officers just want to kill people. They're terrible. That's a much easier thing to say, ultimately. Yeah. So. I just want to say if tomorrow that pandemic video lady comes out with all of these supporting papers and whatnot, Tim's going to look like a real idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Undeniable proof. It's too late. I'm already on the other side. Again, I want so you to issue. Yeah, I want you to issue a public apology in the spirit of everything we've talked about today. If that happens. Okay, That's fair. Okay. Fine. That's fair. I, I think it's fair. <laughs> Fine. Cool. If I had I'll, to, I'll hold you to it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know you will. My accountability partners right here. <laughs> Woo! Right. How long have we been? Are we at about an hour? It's got to be hour and 20. Oh, we got to wrap this thing up. <laughs> no, we got Ooh. 40 minutes to go. <laughs> We're going to pull a Joe Rogan length here podcast. Uh, cool, everyone. Well, I think this is enough talk for tonight. I think we hit a lot of different things. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for commenting, for sharing this. It means a lot. If you have any more questions or comments, please leave them in the in the uh, little comment box over there. Or you can argue with me about it on my Facebook statuses because I'll be there, even though I don't think I <laughs> should. I probably will argue be. back. <laughs> it's an addiction to which I have no solution. <laughs> anyway, uh, have a great night, everyone. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus.